His name is Heston Blumenthal and he is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on planet Earth. To celebrate the 25th anniversary of his world famous Fat Duck restaurant, we're doing a series of specials here where Heston is revealing the secrets and stories behind some of his most iconic dishes. So far, he's shown us how to transform the smell of talcum powder into a pudding, use sound to make food that can make you cry, and create ice cream out of crab. And now we're delving even deeper into the menu. Hello, Heston. Good afternoon. Are you all right? Hello, Jay. Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, because for once, I'm looking behind you once again at beautiful sun-kissed France, but I'm looking out the window at beautiful sun-kissed England, which is very nice. A little late summer. I'm quite enjoying this. It's hot today, isn't it, now, I think? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's really, really nice. I'm yeah. quite happy with this. It's uh, Yes, it's lovely. So it's nice to be seeing you. Good. And also, obviously, we're joined by James, our Fat Duck producer as ever, who'll be keeping us on the right side of facts. Hello, James. Hi guys, nice Good to see you, hear you. And I'm sad to say we have now arrived at our last of our Fat Duck Deep Dives, but it's probably the episode that I've been looking forward to the most. So Heston, can you reveal what are we exploring today? Well, deep dives for now, because what we're going to be doing is over the course of the year, while we look back on the last 25 years and maybe also get excited about that, the present and the future, there will be more deep diving into the past. Um, but for now, we are going to the feeling of being a kid in a sweet shop. Lovely. Opening the sweet shop. Do you want to explain uh, to all our listeners what happens at the end or towards the end of your, your fat duck dining experience? Because it is quite a magical experience that we're going to talk about today. The fat duck experience was, over the last few years, was developed as a story that follows the course of a day from morning to night time. And it was a sort of imaginary, fueled by my memories as well, but a, a day's holiday as a kid. You wake up, you have breakfast, then you might go to the beach, um, have some ice cream on the beach and listen to the waves lapping up against the shore while you might eat a crab ice cream from a Mr. Whippy van and uh, some beautiful shellfish or seafood. And then you go for a walk in the woods, uh, have dinner, maybe at a pub, and then after dessert, you, do, you have you, well, dessert, you're counting sheeps, you're getting ready for bed. Then you drift off into wonderful dreams of imagination, excitement, wonderment, curiosity, adventure. All of these fantastic emotions that, that we tend to associate with childhood. And that is journeying into the sweet shop. And the physical sweet shop that you get at the end of, of, of your journey or your meal at the Fat Duck is a sort of a way of housing the, the petty falls, but they're not petty falls. So we had this sweet shop made. It was a model. It took three people, seven months of um, incredibly hard work. I think it nearly hospitalised them <laughs> in the process. The it's Basically, it is a... James, can you remind me of the name of the, the you know, the autom automaton, automaton, is it automaton? An autom automaton. 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 Is it automaton? Hold on, I'm going to Google it. <laughs> I think it is, but I think that's what I know. You're all saying different things. What's it? Aut automaton. Automaron. Okay. <laughs> no, ton. <laughs> automaton. So this um, sweet shop is actually modelled on the building of the duck. 1550 roughly it was built so it's a two-story building with wooden framed windows two up two down window wise with a door in the middle and a nice pitch roof with a chimney on the top so the sweet shop has actually been modeled on that and, and it's not a small model it's it's it's, it's big no, it's about one two the, the actual shop itself is about two and a half foot long by a foot and a half plus high it's a pitched roof and for example the tiles have all been handmade and hand sanded each tile it's got two stories and it's sitting on top of a trolley a gerudon of a slightly antique looking trolley with four wheels and it's got a victorian cranked handle you know like the old sewing machine handles and it's an automaton an automaton is like one of those slightly uh, fantasy adventure Harry Potter-like film robots. Oh, so like the thing out of Big, where he gives him his fortune. 
Yes, so you crank the handle, and underneath the table, there's this mechanism, which the, it's a, like cogs and gears, if you can imagine. But some of the gears are made out of teaspoons, and there's a, there's a pouring jar, and it's all in brass, and it looks like his piston's going up and down. So as you turn the handle, all this stuff moves. There's a little duck spinning around um, the gear system, and, and, and as that whole gear system clicks into play, the, 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 the tabletop is in one piece, but the fat duck's house, the sweet shop, opens up it's hinged at the back so it's like it's like cutting a house in half vertically but keeping the back attached and then you just open it up um, and actually just before that the windows are one thing I wanted to, to mention the windows in this sweet shop the leaded light the, the, the sorry the beveled glass can only be about an inch by three quarters of an inch they're square rectangles and there's about nine of those per window and they're all handmade by Zeiss and behind them are little jars of sweets which are just over an inch high with a lid and the sweets are probably one to two millimeters in diameter or circumference and they're multicolored so you've got sort of mini mint humbugs and things like that so you've got these through the window and then as it opens up it's just full of drawers it's like a chest of old-fashioned little drawers that might be three inches uh, wide by an inch and a half high and about six, seven inches deep. Like apothecary drawers, I want to say. Is that the exactly, right Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yes, I'm glad you pronounced that because <laughs> you didn't ask me to. <laughs> I'd certainly muddle my, muddle my thuzz and my puzz up. Um, and they'll house the sweets. And above... If in the roof, so above the drawers, you've opened the house up, you've got two triangular pitched roofs that you're looking into. And one of them is an old shop with a little vat of liquid nitrogen. It's about a couple of inches high. And there's, uh, there's the smallest light bulb, apparently. Apparently, smallest light bulb in the world hanging from the ceiling. It must be about two or three mil. And it's got a light bulb. It lights up. I love the random and, things uh, you like. It's brilliant. And there's a bedroom on the other side, like a kid's bedroom with... with toy aeroplanes and stuff in absolute miniature it's a it's a it's a wonderful wonderful object there's something about seeing things in miniature as well it when you see it brought to the dining table i don't care who you are you might be the most jaded person on the planet but your eyes will open in wonder because a doll's house and things in miniature are, are wonderful anyway but the whole pageantry of it opening and the things that are inside it is it's delightful we'll we'll, we'll stick some on the um at heston's podcast into instagram we've got some video of it so we'll stick some up so you can you see it because oh, it is lovely yes and and what happens i mean i can go into more detail but you'll see in the imagery uh, of, of what's upstairs so the bedroom and the actual sweet shop but there's something more functional about this as well so somewhere through the course of your meal somewhere on the table you might discover a coin and that coin is for the sweet shop so when they've opened the sweet shop so you can see the drawers in front of you you then give them the coin the, the front of house team drop the coin in the little slot and the dot and the drawers the apothecary drawers do a little dance and then if there's four of you at the table four drawers will be left popped out and we have the ability to be able to tailor it so one coin will be will be connected to somebody's ch a specific chair and in those drawers are four sweets. Now I'm going to come back. I'm going to just pause at that moment. We can also, we had it made. So we, we made the smell of the sweet shop years ago with a perfumier, which, which we, I will talk about shortly. But we can have a mechanism so that smell can be pumped out of the chimneys, the little two chimneys at the top of the, of the building with the smoke. The only problem is the next table can smell it. <laughs> So it can take you away. You don't want to be, to be taken away from the seaside too soon. Too <laughs> Not much many distraction chefs have before to worry you've been at this. the seaside. <laughs> it's the old, everyone's face, the old, will my fake miniature doll's house pump out the smell of a sweet shop from the chimneys and ruin another yeah, you've, experience? Yeah, you've heard that. You've yeah. heard that. I mean, I'm, almost on a daily basis. <laughs> so I'm just going to pause there briefly to say, Erden Suttenkock to you, Heston, uh, as you would. And do you know what that means? Erden Suttenkock. <laughs> no, but I would love to. I could hazard a guess, but I think I might get arrested and it would be woefully misplaced. I, of course, have said, are you hungry, chef? 
in Norwegian. Ah. Yes, we all know that. Now, uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Cock, as in cooking. Cochen, K-O-C-H-E-N. Precisely. As, as you, as yeah. I'm sure that's what you were going to say anyway. Um, yeah, but the reason course. I've said that is on this podcast, obviously we always like to uh, pair up with sponsors who we think have got something interesting for our listeners to take advantage of. And uh, this one's great. It's called... Uh, Babbel and it is a language learning app and uh, the great thing about it is it's a clear and simple interface that guides you through your learning journey in a funny and smooth way. I've been doing it for Norwegian for no other reason than I fancy learning some Norwegian. It's incredibly hard but it's made easier by the fact that there's this uh, great little app. You can set how long you want to work on it each day, five minutes, ten minutes, an hour uh, and it's designed to quickly get you speaking within a new language within a few weeks with daily ten to fifteen minute lessons. Babbel teaches real life conversations and you learn through interactive dialogue. Speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Obviously I don't need that after that perfect example of Norwegian. Uh, you can choose from 14 different languages including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Norwegian the teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies and it's available as an app or online and your progress will be synced across all your devices, which is really, really cool, actually. It just pops up on your phone as an app. Um, and the great thing about it is through this podcast right now, Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of six months subscription with the promo code HESTON, H-E-S-T-O-N. So just go to babbel.co.uk forward slash play and use the promo code HESTON on your six month subscription. That is babbel.co.uk forward slash play promo code HESTON and you too could be speaking any language you like just as fluently as I just spoke Norwegian then, or hopefully even better. Right, back to the sweet shop. And let's come back to the origin of this idea. And about 15 years ago, I had somebody, a woman called Sue Knight, who lived not too far away in Henley, came to the Fat Duck one evening, and I think it was a work-related dinner. Now, Sue Knight introduced... NLP into Britain, neuro-linguistic programming, which is, which got some controversy about it. But basically, neuro-linguistic programming is what all algorithms have morphed into in terms of um, how they write info on websites and stuff. So basically, neuro-linguistic programming can show that the, your body language, the, the words that you use, the tonality, the pauses, all of these things can have quite a major influential effect on the way you communicate things. And I was quite fascinated in this because obviously it taps into a lot of the things that I've, I've been playing around with and been fascinated in. So at the end we were talking and she said, look, um, if you're up for it, we'd love to model you. But, mm, okay. Wow. What does that mean? Sounds, okay, sounds great. She said, well, come down to one of their training centres at Henley's, this wonderful barn by the river, converted barn. So I said, okay, great. Then I spoke to a friend that we've been doing some work with who, who, was in, who used the, these type of techniques in his work, sort of coaching work. And I said, Mike, um, Sue Knight was in, great, and she wants to, wants to model me. What does that mean? He said, it's a technique where they'll ask you questions which aren't necessarily about your physical work they're about what drives you what excites you maybe tap into some memories i said well is there would it be worth me doing it he said it could be because they could then feedback stuff to you that you might not realize that you've been trying to express so i thought okay why not so one monday off i went down the road to henley and had about 20 people for an hour or so asking me questions and normally these questions, what, what, one of the main um, techniques is, and when this happened, what was it like? How did you feel? Where did you feel it? And when you feel, and, and they keep on asking the same question and eventually they can, they can tap into, it's like peeling off layers of an onion and get deeper into um, emotional motivation, let's say, because that's what most things boil down to, what we what we do is so influenced by our emotions and our emotions are in turn affected and influenced by as a result of what we do it's like cause and effect and so i went through the process and what came out of this 
was uh, they wrote me a, a, a summary, sent me this document, and it was that when I'm in the zone of creativity and imagination, I feel like a kid in a sweet shop. Oh, that's interesting. I was using this metaphor because when I used it, I could imagine being a kid in a sweet shop. Now, I later realized it wasn't necessarily a specific sweet shop, sweet shop that I went to as a kid. It was a combination of all the sweet shops that I'd seen and been to, maybe seen in animation or cartoons or TV, or that I'd imagined or dreamt about. This is it interesting. Was I was going to ask you this. I was going to ask you this because I was going to ask you what. Because in my experience, the thought of a sweet shop is yes. wonderful and, and magical. But when I actually think to my actual genuine sweet shop, I had it was just a newsagent. It wasn't particularly glamorous, but it still yeah, no, had a magic. This is where I'm going to come onto this exactly. That's a great point. So I thought, wow, this is actually for me, and, and this is where metaphors can be wonderful. However, there's, there's a. I have a caveat about metaphors is that just like food it's subjective some people love some flavors and tastes and some people love others and some people don't like etc etc the same thing with metaphors a metaphor to one person it might be similar they might understand the principle of the metaphor but we're not going to have the same i mean be rare that we have exactly the same imagination of that metaphor connection with that metaphor because we're all individuals but i thought however it's a great metaphor because it, it also translates into french into spanish into german into many different languages obviously it's food related and um i'd spent a lot of time being creative in all areas but particularly on desserts as well and as a kid i just thought back to walking to my sweet shop that I remember I mean there was one in London before I moved out of London the one in the country and the bit I remember as much as anything else was the anticipation of the build-up while I'm walking to the sweet shop and I had some money in my pocket wouldn't have been a lot of money I thought, God, this is the first bit of accounting kids do as well yeah. We can't do, we're not interested in maths at school, but give us 25p and say, right, fill your boots. <laughs> oh, my God. Do I buy 30 blackjacks or little cheap chewing bits or do I blow out on one bar of chocolate? Oh, my God. That was literally how we pain. quantified money when I was a little kid with my brother. That's how we quantified money. We went, goodness me, that's 35 one penny sweets when we were saying something exactly. was expensive. <clears throat> or do I buy some... some um, foil covered chocolate coins because then I've actually purchased money, edible money with my money. Does that give me any more value? But then I've eaten it. So there's so many questions that go that, that I think go through our heads. So it's a bit like there was anticipation, it's like anticipation of a holiday, anticipation of Christmas. I think too often we skim by the importance of the build up and the anticipation and the excitement. So there was all of that to play with. Then the wonderment and frustration at the same time of what am I going to buy? And then how am I going to eat them? And what the, was, did the doorbell, was there a bell on the door? What did the sweet shot smell like? What about, was there a set of scales where they tipped humbugs in and they made this sort of, this pebble clanging noise as they hit the metal tray of the old scales? Could you hear the you know, the plastic uh, lid of the jar being unscrewed and the noise of the hand going into the order, pouring the sweets out. This is very um, good, by the way. You're describing it. It's amazing when you're doing it because that's really instigating <laughs> all those memories. I'd forgot, I'd forgot, I remember the ch clanging and the scale, but I hadn't remembered the, the hand going in, that sort of crunching going noise. Going into the, the jar. The trowel goes the, in. Yeah, the trowel goes in. And then, yeah, there were different sounds. So the sherbet bonbons are covered in these sort of lemon chewy bonbons <laughs> covered in powdered sherbet. Made a, made, also made a different noise and the rustle of the paper bag and I thought, oh, smell of licorice. There was this really strong smell of licorice. So I'd created this expectation of this sweet shop, which was a combination of what I imagined my metaphor to be and obviously influenced by my experiences, what I've been to, what I've seen, what I've you know, read about, etc. So <clears throat> we did a lot of work with this incredible perfumier called Christophe Lodemiel, French guy that we've spoken about before. So as Christophe was in the UK and I said, I want to have this idea, I want to create a sweet shop. 
for petty force because it's for me is a metaphor for great childhood emotions that I think every adult would love to have excitement and curiosity and discovery and adventure and all of these sorts of things <clears throat> so he came over and off we went we went to about four or five sweet shops in the area we've tried to find all the old-fashioned ones we could find and lo and behold exactly as you said I had to look for the licorice smell and the smell of vanilla and things like that. There was sort of a smell of slightly damp carpet in one of them. And <laughs> maybe and a mouldy wooden door frame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> it's not the quaint and old lady behind the counter, either, the slightly grumpy when, guy who doesn't want you in there. Yeah, like you were getting in the way of them reading something or eating their own sweets. I don't know. So then I thought, okay, well, let's have a look at the sweets. So I just scanned the shelves and there was mint humbugs and licorice all sorts and sherbet, um, sherbet dib dabs and sherbet fountains. And then, then the, obviously the, the, all the lemon bonbons and the blackjacks and the bazooka bubble gums and the, the chewy stringy things. They didn't, interestingly enough, have uh, the two types of um, fake cigarettes that I remember as a kid, the chocolate one, cheap chocolate in dodgy rice those? paper. They were brilliant. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. They were brilliant. And then, and then the, ca the crystallised sugar with the red end that you crunched into them. And you got a card in those ones. I always quite like those. But the other ones, the ones with the sugar, the sugar paper and the chocolate inside, I don't... Yeah. They were quite nice, actually, but I don't know no, what There was something I remember about the filter. There was a filter on there which had another... I, paper on it sweet i don't remember so i started opening the jars and then there were smells that i really it was connecting to my metaphor actually and my what my memory was however you know relative it was to any sweet shops i've been into or not so mint humbugs sherbet sherbet featured a lot uh, sorry licorice feature, featured a lot i adore the smell of licorice yeah i i'm not a fan on the flavor or the taste because it's so sweet. It's like 150 times sweeter than sugar, and it gives a coating to my mouth when I when I eat licorice. But I love the smell of licorice. Is licorice and aniseed are they the same or related? Similar family, similar family, and you get that almost like um, artificial sweetener coating on your mouth. Yeah, there's because a, they're so, those little red they're balls so of aniseed. Yeah, they'd sort of numb you. They'd numb your yeah. mouth actually. It'd make it difficult it's to numb, feel. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it was a good thing. Oh, well, us kids, we went through so much pain. All that, <laughs> all that sour, acidic sherbet, which is now called, I think, TNT. I think is one of the one of the sweets. Anyway, so I collected these bags with Christoph, and then he went off and started building a, a smell, you know, a, a, a smell, a, a sort of perfume of a sweet shop, which was brilliant. When you spray, when you spray it, you get, you get. Uh, citrusy lemony notes first and that, then in the background you start getting the licorice and then caramel then vanilla there's a slight oaky note which was for me was a bit like old-fashioned shelves apothecary drawers and shelves in, in in the sweet shop of my imagination or my metaphor so we built this perfume smell of a sweet shop and we started making this was before the actual sweet shop itself I've written about this in the fat duck book we started making sweets and these took months and months and months and months and months, morphing into years of R&D work. We made aerated, little aerated domes of chocolate. So like an aero bar, posh aero bar, big bubbles with a mandarin, delicate mandarin jelly on the top and enrobed in this beautifully mirrored-like, delicate, crisp chocolate casing. It's so difficult to describe crunch. how incredible it is in your mouth. It's like if Jaffa cakes were made in heaven and then sort yeah. of merged with an aero bar. They're, when they go on your tongue, that is the most... In, I have a sweet tooth, as you know, but that is one of the most incredible experiences in your mouth you're ever going to have. It's special. It, it was amazing. And that's when I started looking at vacuum ovens. And no, again, that, that was a no restaurant on the planet had ever considered the use of a vacuum for cooking and I got the inspiration from a guy called Nicholas Kurti the Hungarian physicist that gave this presentation at the Royal um, the Royal Society in 1969 called A Physicist in the Kitchen 
and he was putting egg whites in a in a in a chamber and pulling a vacuum on it and the egg whites would rise like unbelievably you'd make a meringue the only problem is when you release the pressure you the vacuum so the air came back in it would collapse again so i was thinking well, what could you put in that um chamber that would set at room temperature because obviously egg whites in order to make a meringue you have to bake them you whisk them if you don't bake them they're going to they're, they're not stable anyway the result was chocolate so we got a vacuum oven and we tried and tried a thousands of hours of r and d and actually quite interesting now you see them popping up all over the all over the place in 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 high-end restaurants but it was an awful awful lot of work to, to get this and to get the shine on the casing so that's the that's one of the chocolates another one was um salted butter caramel so soft toffees but apple pie apple pie flavor so we made a tart to tan or apple pie with the caramelized pastry and the apples and the butter made it into a really soft toffee and then we also we'd invented edible wrappers and you, you say know, it like year, you I, say it like it's just yeah of course we had we made edible wrappers. you know this is i said that for a reason because one year i got so used to um some of these things i created i thought everyone was doing them <laughs> and i remember i won't name the restaurant but it was it was a three michelin restaurant in uh in spain and i'd gone there and we'd had dinner and finished dinner and along came these little sweets in cellophane wrappers i was talking i didn't even think about it i just put the whole thing in my mouth started chewing and then looked like tom hanks from big so i was putting these bits of plastic out of my teeth because i just thought it's got a wrapper you must be able to eat it i forgot so that was the the the, the apple pie edible caramels then there's two more left one is um it's also a thing of beauty was inspired by Alice in Wonderland and the jam, jam tarts, Queen of Hearts, ate some tarts. And we made a playing card. It's a chocolate playing card. And it is um, got, the, got the Queen of Hearts on the side of the playing card. Imprinted. It's about a couple of millimetres thick and inside the playing card is the world's thinnest jam tart. So the pastry must be half a millimetre and raspberry compote. I didn't know it had pastry in it. I didn't realise it had yeah, pastry in it. it's the thinnest jam tart. It's jam tart covered, housed, hidden. It's like an, an ultimate edible magic trick. The jam tart is inside the playing card. And then that goes into an envelope and we seal the envelope with a wax, red wax seal, which is in fact beetroot and white chocolates you can eat the seal the only thing is people you know where to pee if you can do these things people think everything's edible so they're trying to eat the envelope <laughs> and then you say well of course you can't eat the envelope well what do you mean of course you can eat the wrapper maybe <laughs> remember one of the shows when we made it and you served a dessert which was basically there was nothing there there was just plates and cutlery but all the plates and cutlery were edible but the, and the candles and everything. Yes. But the problem came and is everyone started trying to eat everything. You're like, no, 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 the chairs aren't. You had to keep stopping. The chairs are, <laughs> yes. And, and then they got so in a frenzy. We, I remember we made edible um, napkins and they were covered in chocolate after eating the candles, covering them and eating the plates. And they got so excited that they just forgot and picked up the, uh, picked up the, the, the napkins, which are edible. They wiped their face with sort of sugar and butter and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so what we're doing at the moment is uploading a, um, a number of short videos which cover the, the processes uh, involved in making some of these uh, sweets for the sweet shop. So if anyone's interested in, in seeing the incredibly skillful techniques and, and, and sort of um, wonderment of, 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 of what Hester's talking about, then these are available on the, on, well, if you, if you search through our Instagram, which is at uh, Hester Blumenthal team, or, or through our website, which is uh, www.thefatduck.co.uk, then uh, you should be able to see some of these things being created. Heston, how do you get? Is it, is it a transfer that goes onto the playing card? How do you get it to look just like a playing card? Yeah, it's a transfer. So it's an edible transfer that goes onto the playing card. So we've had to have special moulds made for it. Uh, the way the chocolate's tempered, it's a, it's an incredible amount of work. And in fact, these four little sweets probably occupy as much work as. Uh, um, a kind of mid to high end restaurant's whole menu. 
Oh, We've had a whole cat to have a whole kitchen built for them. And the final one is a Mars bar, which is called, but it's Mars bar with a difference, which came from one of our TV shows, Ox Chock. Which actually, I'll let you, you I've, I've been, I can rest my voice for a few minutes or seconds or minutes, depending on how long you take, if you can remember oh, no. the Here history of Ox Chock. History of Ox Chock. So this is one of those I things, unfortunately, making TV shows, you have one in, one out in terms of my, I've got a nightclub policy in my brain when it comes to remembering the things we knew about. It's to do with the early days of chocolate making. They made it out, yep. they made some of them beef flavoured, is that right? Ex- yes, exactly. The first chocolate bars apparently were from. It were uh, some Dutch guy invented a process for conching emulsifying chocolate, and the British chocolate companies, um, particularly it fries, is fries and fries was, fries was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the first. It's fries one. and Bourneville and Cadbury's, and I think fr- what they're not Mormons. What are they called? Quakers? Were they Quakers? Boots, Quaker, yeah. So um, there were families in the in the UK late eighteen hundreds, I think they were like the, they were Quaker families. So Boots, Clark's shoes, fries, fries, and some of the and the chocolate um, manufacturers, and they didn't believe in they didn't believe in war or fighting, and they didn't believe in alcohol. So so they created this chocolate bar because they thought it would give it would give. Um, you know, wellness and energy, and they reinforced it with beef extract, and it was called ox chock. That was so when we was discussed. this, James? Do we know what around what date this was? I can't remember when it I was. I think it was late eighteen hundreds. Was it? I'll have to have a quick look. I love that idea the first of reinforcing with beef. Yeah, beef. Give me a chance to put some beef in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that to give you some context. In eighteen sixty-six, John Cadbury travelled to Visp in Holland to buy his Van Houten press. So it's all happening around sort of the 1860s, 1870s, once that, that this machine has been invented. All the household names of chocolate are all, you know, however they would get there, are running to, to Amsterdam and Holland and places to, to go and get hold of this machine. So you've, you've channeled that beef chocolate. Yeah, we, so we made a Mars, what looks like a Mars bar, with a layers of biscuit, there's a soft caramel... Uh, and then a nougatine, and then all enrobed in chocolate into what looks like a sort of Mars bar, but it's, it's packaging of ox choc. And It is um, fantastic as well. It sounds... I know all these things sound weird. It does sound weird to have beef-flavoured chocolate, but for, it works so well. It gives it a kind of depth and roundness, which is, I don't know, I don't it know does. proper words are for it, but it just makes your mouth feel fuller. Well, in, f- in fact, if you go to South America, and in particular countries like Mexico, they have what's called moles. A mole is a curry. A, it's a stew. So think think a sort of chili con carne. But they don't have to be mince. They're just stews, and they do them with beef and pigeon and pork. They do them with all sorts of chicken. They, they're called moles. It's just a generic term for these stews. And there's so many different variations. But there are many moles that are finished with chocolate. You don't put too much in. You just put just enough and it adds this extra level of richness. So this is sort of putting a reverse into it where it's actually chocolate but sort of finished with a little bit of beef extract. In, in, in good old British um, historical chocolate making fashion oh. <laughs> when, we, when we go not to war in, uh, in, in, in Quaker style so um, those four sweets are then all put in a pink and white sweet shop bag with a little booklet to explain the sweets and a little, the little spray well, we actually sp- spray the bag so you've got the smell in the, in the bag well I'm curious if, if I gave you let's say a king's ransom when you were a kid let's say 60 pence what would you have what was your sort of kid economics what did you go for chocolate but that was that was the big ticket stuff if you're going for chocolate you can get chocolate in the one and two penny sweets you need to go for chocolate bars uh, no but you, if you went for the if you went for the for the um freddo the little oh. frog chocolate that 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 was that was uh, but i'd i'd still rather go for um go for if i could get one bit of chocolate I'd forgo all my chewy stuff. Do you remember the Woolworths pick and mix? That was the... That wasn't the sweet shop. That was like... There was a couple of... It felt like 
well, it went on for ages, but uh, long rows. It was like a record. It was like an old record, a big record shop. There were rows and rows and yeah. rows of and, and, and rows and stacked up. And there was the fancy chocolate one with all the really shiny wrappers, and then there was the more sort of ones we could afford, like the little gummy like Coca Cola bottles and bananas. Yeah, and all the those eggs, ones. the fried eggs, yeah. and, the, and the prawns, and all the, all of those ones. There's something like a, a relaxing chemical or some kind of bonding chemical when you talk about nostalgic things. Yeah, o- oxytocin. Oh, it is oxytocin. Yeah, and, and, and now, right. <clears throat> it's oxytocin. And the original, the original definition of oxytocin is actually an oxytocin. Of the original definition of nostalgia comes from a Greek word. It's actually not a positive one. It's in fact longing for your friends and family. And in the Swiss Army, which is a bit of an oxymoron in itself. Um, you Apologies to, to the Swiss mili- Army listeners to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lost I don't us know any few. connection to Swiss chocolate. <laughs> no, but, but I'm going back in the 1800s. Um, you, you have to go and do your military service for two years. And there were some people who did this military service that were so, they were missing their friends and family and homes so much, they started putting them in asylums because they said they weren't right. mentally, they'd gone, they'd gone all funny. They weren't strong enough to fight. Wow. <laughs> we, well, um, <laughs> did that really matter? Uh, but but they, so they, 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 they said that they were, they had a, they, they were mentally unstable and they, and they put them in asylums. Now, there's always at least two different perspectives on the same thing. So you can either look back at a wonderful memory, if you're in a period of, say, men feeling a bit you know, down and out and you're a victim, being you feel like you're a victim of, of life and you look back and you go, I wish I was back there then in fact that's not that's not positive for your mental well-being however if you can tap into a wonderful memory and bring it back as if it was today you can relive it then that memory becomes a nugget for the rest of your life and that's the amazing thing about it. The more we've talked, it feels like a little bit like an advent calendar almost. Every little door you've opened when you started talking about a certain brand of sweets or a certain moment, as it door opens, suddenly about 10 other memories spark into my mind. I suddenly started thinking about the smell of panini football stickers. What an iconic smell that was, because I'd buy those oh when my I bought God, the sweets. I've just, I, I've just got the smell in my head. Do you know what I mean? It's I've so got, powerful, it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that was I my... I get the sweets and save enough money for a pack of... Stickers to try and get Ian Rush, if I could. Were uh, you with us when um, Russ, Russell, sound guy, sound Russell, who did loads of the sound stuff for us, he's brilliant. I remember him opening, was, the boot of his car was open in the car park of the duck. We were filming something and he went, Heston, come here, look. And I looked into his boot and he had a reel of sticky tape that they use for sticking mics on and stuff. Smell that, it's just like the panini sticker. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> We all stood around sniffing it. it. Some kind of hardwired nostalgia thing. It was. Um, It's the power of like everything. Everything has the potential for all sorts of things. Potential for good, potential for positive, and potential for negative. But the the potential positive uh, emotions and well-being feelings that nostalgia can trigger is in. It's incredible and incredibly emotive, incredibly wonderful, and incredibly sharing at the same time, and so. All of these things, you know, th- this this ability to save a marriage, bring people to tears. We had another tear moment with a sweet shop bag, actually. We've talked about the ratatouille tearful moments in a positive way with the sound of the sea. But there was a woman, and I walked past the table when when she was in, uh, she was she was in tears. The pink and white bag had triggered it for her. The sweet shop bag. It was her grandmother, and she used she went to a sweet shop. With a very similar bag, the really? sweets with a very similar bag, and it just it just took us straight back to that moment. Incredible. I would love to know as well. I know we have a lot of people uh, listening down in Australia. Hello, down under. We do love you, and we'd love to hear from you guys. How much of this works for you in your pick and mix experience? I imagine the sweet yeah. brands and some of the things you know, the experiences you had down there. I'm thinking are kind of probably going to be very different. I'm curious to know how much of this chimes actually so do drop do drop us a line at heston's podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from people all around the world how much of these what to me feel quintessentially british sweet shop memories actually work all around the world yes and how, how much of that is you know i would have thought that most kids in the world it's a hard wide evolutionary thing love sweet things we love sugar 
and so the sweets I can see being different in different cultures, although there's a, there is a big connection between British and Australian culture. Um, but even if you go to Asia and, 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 and maybe, um, you know, other, other parts of Africa and stuff, they will still be involving sweets. Now, does the sort of ritual of being given a bit of money or something by, for your, by your parents and walking to a shop or a supplier who's selling stuff that got the sweet that that are sweet based that you can then go and buy have a bit of responsibility and then choose and then get the reward from it you know that would be i would be fascinating to look how it changed how 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 that sort of same kind of thread ran through however the 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 objects might have been very different and and what about the the emotional response so i'd i'd love to i'd love to hear that and you mentioned chimes this is the last thing i was going to talk about it's very important the speed shop so in the sweet shop, uh, in my metaphor, there is a old fashioned sweet shop bell. Ding, ling, ling. And Melissa, who was working in the office with me, this is years ago, had found a website, something like, it, it's not, wasn't this name, but uh, uh, sweetshopbellsareus.com. <laughs> anyway, so you could click on to these photographs of these old fashioned bells and they would have their ding, ling, ling, ring. So, so we would listen to them. And, That's the one, ordered it. And it was a very simple, just a metal coiled, a coiled piece of flat metal with a bell on the end. And we put it on top of the door in the lab. So every time you open the door, you heard ding-a-ling-a-ling and close the door. So the idea was it would spark off. You're entering this, just the sound would signify the rabbit hole. You've just gone into this world of imagination and creativity. <laughs> well, what we didn't factor in was that there was also some development prep going on quite a bit. And with five people in there, the door was opening and closing maybe a couple of hundred times before lunchtime. <laughs> it didn't last the first day. Somebody just pulled the bell off and said, that's it. I've had enough. <laughs> so I think we need a bell on demand. Uh, <laughs> you ruined that childhood uh, memory for a few people. <laughs> and, 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 and I don't know. The last, the last thing is we, I, did, I presented this concept over the years in many countries gastronomic congresses in in spain in uh, australia in america and um for one of them we developed um with this company called the neighborhood uh animation and it takes you through the tasting menu if anyone's got the inclination please have a look it's a beautiful animation and it takes you through um a fat duck tasting menu and you go through a ice tower building up, which is the nitrogen through to a lime tree that comes out of there, which is the lime grove smell with the liquid nitrogen. And there's a train that runs through it, which is meant to be like train of thought. <clears throat> then that takes you to the to the forest where there, you see some snails and a quail for the quail jelly. And then you walk through and see this mushroom, which is which is the Alice in Wonderland related um, connection which turns into mock turtles flying around trees and then you go onto the beach and you end up in this wonderful sweet shop with big candy canes and I I, I pootle past on a on a little uh, old fashioned um, very old fashioned car um, with a little nitro trolley on the back and then ding a ling a ling the door opens and then the door shuts and when the door closes you've got John Hurt is the sweet shop owner and he amazingly he did this for us so we also had to get permission uh, we we've used um um pure imagination you know the soundtrack from the gene wilder willy wonka charlie film the chocolate factory. Come yeah. charlie and the chocolate factory so we've got that we and then we we got gene wilder very very kindly gave us permission i think it had we been a movie set as opposed to a little restaurant then it would have been an, uh, like a you know unimaginable amount of money, but he gave us for a very small fee, very generously gave us the soundtrack to use. So you've got wow. that soundtrack. The door shuts, goes quiet, and you hear "Welcome, welcome, come on in." It's John Hurt, and there's a creaking floorboard, and he talks about these sweets. And in the middle of these imaginary sweets, the four or five sweets that you get that I've just covered in the in the um, you know in in the sweet shop get dropped into the bag 
and then he ends up saying goodbye now. So the reason for closing the door is you close your eyes and you're just in the sweet shop of your dreams. I tell you what, why don't we, at the end of this podcast, we can't put the video up, but I do suggest you go online and see it because it is a thing of beauty. We'll drop the John Hurt uh, audio recording bit at the end of this podcast. So after the music finishes at the end of this episode, keep listening and John Hurt will pop up and take you on an experience of the sweet shop, uh, which is really worth listening to, especially with headphones on. It's brilliant. It really, really draws with it, you It's in. done in, recorded in binaural as well which means it's more sort of, you know, surround. And, it, and then if you, if you guys can uh, have a look at the animation, because it's all, it's all connected to the experience that when you, when, you, when you arrive in the duck. What do we search for, James, to find the animation online? It's on our website, www.thefatduck.co.uk. Simple as that. Perfect. And it should be, when you click on it, uh, when you click on that uh, link, it should come up with, with, a, with, a, you know, with a rectangular, with a box where you just press play. Wonderful. And Heston, unfortunately, we have now arrived, for now, at the end of our journey into the Fat Duck menu. As you said, we will be returning to the Fat Duck menu. And obviously, the podcasts are continuing. Just because we finished our Fat Duck menu doesn't mean the podcasts are stopping. In fact, next week, we have a special edition in which I hand over all the question-asking duties to all of you out there. So we want you to ask any question you want of Heston. Crack open that massive egg-shaped head full of incredible things and find all the amazing stuff inside uh please send us any and all your questions best way is probably on the email hestonspodcast at gmail.com ping them over and we'll be cherry picking the very best to ask on the podcast next week and you can take over the duties of asking the questions and then after that normal service will resume and we'll continue on more exciting journeys to the center of food where we go nobody knows but heston will be sure to be giving us all manner of incredible things along the way heston thank you that's probably the most nostalgic experience i've ever had on one of these that was really delightful oh thank you jay thanks for letting me um Letting me loose. <laughs> and if anyone has any panini football stickers, we'll take the lot. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. All that's left to say is thank you ever so much, uh, Heston and James, and goodbye, Heston. Goodbye, Jay. And goodbye, James. Bye, James. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> straight through. Don't mind the ducks, but do mind the floorboard. Take a deep breath now. Don't be shy. Inhale the appetizing aroma of my extraordinary sweet shop. What particular smells can you pick out? Sherbet, you say? Why, caramel with maple syrup, marzipan, lemon, lime. Licorice, yes, of course. Essence of tangerine as if remembered from a dream. And beneath all of those, a warm woodiness, a certain smokiness. Yes, all of those amazing aromas and flavors are here, and very many more surprising ones besides. But let's not get carried away with aromas alone. You have come to my sweet shop, so sweets you must have. Well, first we'll need a nice fresh paper bag. Yes, here we are. Decorated, you will note, with a rather fetching pattern of parallel pink candy stripes. My own design, of course. Eh, voila. So, where shall we begin? What am I looking for? What sweet sensation am I seeking? Let me see. Strawberry fields forever filled lemon licorice, lost in space dust, Swiss chocolate, and coconut drops, sarsaparilla, champagne, sugar and spice, the sound of the sea. The sound of the sea? Well, now, let's have a look. Or should that be a listen? Aha, do you hear that? Extraordinary. Almost as if you were there, isn't it? But no. No, no, no. Not today, I think, perhaps. I think, perhaps, that is a flavour you should savour at a later date. Mm. What have we here? 
all American hard gum. Brazilian a banana worms, fruity juice frog's legs, Japanese lychee gum, Punjabi jalabi, Mexican jelly jumping bean, Turkish delight, Russian caramel crawfish tail. No, 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 I don't think so. Aha! Coconut backy. Most definitely. A mix isn't a mix without a pinch of Cavendish coconut backy. Or a bullet of my aerated chocolate, for that matter. Yes, aerated. Not, of course, in the sense of making one agitated or annoyed. No, 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 no. The only things likely to get overexcited after sampling my chocolate are your taste buds. Mmm. Ah, yes. Well... One of those, definitely. Oh, yes, most amusing. A couple of these, scoop of those, twist of... What? Oh, no, 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 no. That hasn't hit the right note at all. Goodness gracious me. Well, a work in progress, shall we say. Aha! Now, this is more like it. My extra irresistible soft caramel. Now, please pay careful attention to the label on the jar. Do you see? Yes, that's right. Eat all of me. You see, I wanted to create a sweet so delicious that you could even eat its wrapper. In fact, I insist that you do. Well, in it goes. What's that? Time for tea already? Well, of course, there's always time for tea, isn't there, don't you find? I take my tea hot and iced at the same time. Mm. Yes, where were we? Your marvellous mixture, of course. Now, to complete it, the addition of a white chocolate queen of hearts to help you remember your magical adventure. Well... Goodbye, then. Please call again. <laughs>